Well, this morning uh, we begin uh, going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, there's a couple of things that uh, I prepared for you. So if you did not get them, uh, there are, they are in the back and you can, uh, we can have somebody uh, grab uh, one of these. But uh, there is a, a little timeline of Mark. And then also on the back, there are some, uh, some questions and some readings. Um, and my encouragement for all of us as we step into Mark, that uh, you uh, go through the readings, that you read these. Um, I'll put out uh, five or six uh, different readings a week so that uh, you maybe have one per day. Um, and feel free to do this in addition to your normal reading. And then I just have some questions, too, that I put down. And obviously, there's more questions that uh, people can, uh, can ask, different questions. But my encouragement to you in this is that... Um, you talk with one another about the Word. I, I think transformation, actually, I know transformation happens when we share life together, when we get into the Word together, when we pray together, and when we're um, having conversations and challenging one another. And so really, that's the, the heartbeat, is just that, that we would be in relationship with one another as we are pursuing Jesus together and living for the glory of Jesus. And then also, um, last week I shared about this, and I'll share uh, this again this week. Uh, there is an app, uh, the Bible app, and so if you have an Android phone or uh, an iPhone, you can just simply go to the app store, and uh, if you look up the a Bible app, and it's the most popular one, there's like 8.1 million downloads. And I think most of you, if you have a Bible app on your phone, have this. Well, there's a way for us to put uh, like all the verses in the order, um, kind of what we're doing here on a Sunday morning on there. And so if you open up the Bible app, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, it says uh, more, and you click on that, and then it goes to the next slide, and it's uh, circled there, events. And if you click on events there, it'll lead you to that uh, nice map with all those little red uh, dots on it. And then uh, should be at the top, should say Restoration Church. And then if you click on that, that'll be the order and all the verses that uh, I'll be sharing uh, this morning, as well as a, an outline. And there's um, also uh, the handout that I gave, and then also the Bible reading and the questions that uh, I put out there. And so uh, you can make sure, um, make sure to uh, go through that. Also, I have, uh, found out that in the top right-hand corner, it click, uh, says save. If you don't hit save, then it'll go away in a couple days and it just uh, disappears. And so you have to click save. And then uh, you can also in there under each little section, it says uh, take notes and you can add your own personal notes. Those will not be shared with the World Wide Web. Those are just uh, housed on your phone. And so um, that is just another tool for you. I just want us um, to engage in scripture the way that uh, we engage it throughout the week. And so I encourage you, bring your phone, uh, be on your phone going through those passages, uh, bring your Bible, be uh, hopping into uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Bible that you read on a regular basis. I think it is very important, extremely important to lean into scripture and to be asking constantly, God, what are you saying to me in this? I was going to take it so far to say, you know what, we're not going to have it up on the screens. We're not going to have the verses up there. Just open up your Bibles or open up your phone. And then my wife, lovely wife, said, well, sometimes it's a challenge getting to church on a Sunday morning and you forget your Bible and you forget uh, your you know, things. And so have it up on the screen. I'm like, okay, I'll put it up on the screen. So it'll be up on the screen as well. But I really encourage you uh, to bring uh, the Bible or bring your, your phone with you and engage in Scripture as we go through Mark. And I'm excited. This is something that uh, I've never done before. I've never taught through the whole uh, Gospel of Mark. I have gone through it uh, in different uh, ways and were just uh, taught on different passages. But we're going to go through the Gospel of, of Mark. And uh, I always get excited this time of year. And I don't know about you and, and what your attitude was uh, when school started, uh, the beginning of a school year. I always got excited. 
And sure, there were uh, school supplies, new school supplies, and uh, my mom took me uh, back to school shopping, and maybe I got a couple things, and that always excited me. Um, But I was excited for school to start because I lived uh, in Southern California. I lived away from my friends. Both of my parents went to work. Uh, They worked from eight to five. I was alone all day, and as an extrovert towards the end of the summer, I was like shaking. I'm like, I need to be around people. And I just always had a list of chores. And so I always got excited for school um, because I thought, you know what? I get to be with my friends all day long. And sure, we had to do some schoolwork. We had to listen to some teachers. That was kind of a secondary thing. But I got to hang out with my friends all day long. And I got excited at the beginning of a school year because of the possibilities, because of the future, because of the the memories that we were going to make in that upcoming year. And so this time of year, I always get excited. And I'm, I'm frankly really excited as we dive into the gospel of Mark, because I'm asking, we've gone through a series this summer called Same God, where we heard a lot of testimonies, and we saw God uh, moving in, in, in great ways, and we heard about that, and that inspired faith uh, in us. But now as we move towards the, the fall, I'm excited, God, what are you going to teach us? How, what are you going to show us about your son, Jesus? Because as I get to know Jesus, as I grow in my love and my depth of knowledge for Jesus, there's always more to learn. There's always more to see. And so that's why I'm praying, God, open up our eyes so that we can see Jesus uh, in a new way, more clearly, and be able to share that with our neighbors, uh, coworkers, and friends. And so we're going to hop into the Gospel of Mark today. Um, I want to share just a couple uh, background uh, things as we get into Mark. Um, Mark... Uh, is, and this will be up on the screen, uh, Mark, it was not one of the 12 disciples. Mark is the, the writer of uh, the Gospel of Mark. He's not one of the 12. He actually had a close relationship with uh, the Apostle Peter. And uh, in fact, as you go through Mark, as we go through Mark, we will see that uh, there's nothing that happens where Peter isn't present. And so uh, Mark uh, had a close relationship with Peter, was uh, considered a spiritual son of Peter. And actually, a historian said that uh, uh, Mark was an interpreter of Peter and wrote down accurately whatever Peter remembered of the things that was said and done by Jesus, but not, however, in order, which kind of made me you know, laugh because if you know Peter's personality from reading scripture, Peter's like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. And so I can imagine here was Mark, just this scribe writing down what Peter was saying. And Peter was like, oh yeah, he did this. He did this. He taught about this. And so that is um, uh, how Mark heard about Jesus. And so um, Mark uh, had a close relationship with Peter, was side by side with him. Uh, but we also get a little peek into Mark's family in Acts chapter 12. The last couple of weeks, we've actually been in Acts 11 and Acts 13. But right in the middle, in Acts chapter 12, we see that uh, uh, there was a prayer gathering that occurred at Mark's house. Mark uh, had a mom, was a son of a wealthy widow named Mary. And in Acts chapter 12 we see that Peter was in prison. And Peter, uh, the, pr- the church in Acts 12 was praying for Peter. Well, where were they meeting to pray? They were meeting at Mary's house and actually Mark's mom's house. And they gathered together and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And Peter, if you remember the story, was miraculously released from prison. And he goes to Mary's house and, and Mark's house and is banging on the door. And in excitement, they hear this banging on the door. And uh, the young woman who goes to the door is like, ah! you know, and runs back and uh, they don't believe it's Peter. 
And they, they, they're like, oh, it's just an angel. And they don't even let him in. They keep the door closed, which if you think it was an angel, wouldn't you want to let the angel in at least? Like, so that is a little picture of Mark's family. Like there was a, he lived in a home where uh, there, were, there was Christian community around. And so he would have heard the stories. He would have heard the firsthand accounts. And so um, that was Mark. He wrote the gospel of Mark and it's written about 60 AD. So about 60 years um, uh, AD. And so right in the middle of the 60s, this is the earliest of the gospels that was written. And pretty soon after Jesus ascended to heaven, so Jesus ascended in 30 AD. And uh, so this is written about 30 years after. And you think about it, that's pretty fresh. Like, you remember what happened 30 years ago. You remember what happened in 1991, if that my math is, 1992, if it, my math is, uh, you know, correct. And so it's, it's pretty fresh, but the 60s, not the 1960s, but the 60s were actually a pretty chaotic time. Uh, there was massive persecution uh, under the emperor uh, Nero, who was a Roman emperor at the time. He was very powerful. He actually went insane later, but he was a very uh, demonic uh, person in human history. He set fire to the city of Rome and blamed it on Christians. And so where there was a lot of persecution towards Christians, and uh, he would uh, capture Christians, and he would uh, feed them to wild animals, or uh, he would light them on fire and, to, and light the city of Rome at night. And they were arrested as soon as they put their confession. They said that Jesus is Lord. And so this was a very, very uh, difficult time to be a follower of Jesus, a diff- difficult and chaotic time in the 60s. And one historian actually said this about the 60s. It was a period rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles. There had been three civil wars, more foreign wars, often at the same time. There was a time of unprecedented natural disasters in Italy, and it was filled with both joyful and gloomy prophecies of uncertain future. And Israel and Rome were also in deep conflict. It was a scary time to be alive. And it makes me think, not a lot has changed in 2,000 years. And here was Mark in that time with other Christians. And Mark is writing actually to other Christians living in Rome. And it was believed that Mark was living in Rome himself. And this was written to be, to be passed around um, from person to person. Um, and Mark is writing to them. But actually, as we open up the gospel of Mark, Mark is writing for us because there's things that we can learn about, uh, about Jesus through his writing. And what's even more important, here was this time of persecution, and Mark is writing to Christians in Rome. And who does he write about? He's the main point of the story of the gospel of Mark. He writes about Jesus. And that always blows me away, that in a time when persecution was on the rise, when times were difficult, what do we need? What do followers of Jesus need? We need a greater revelation of who Jesus is. And so as we go through the gospel of Mark, that is my prayer. And actually, throughout the gospel of Mark, you see this question come up over and over again. People ask, who is this? As they interact with Jesus, they're like, who is this? I mean, early on in Mark chapter 1, we'll see that Jesus goes to the synagogue and, and people who are filled with demons are, are set free. And they hear his teaching and they're like, who is this that, that, that even the, the demons obey? Or you know, who is this who has such a powerful teaching? Fast forward to Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in a boat and, and there's this big storm and, and they're freaked out. 
And Jesus, that he's asleep and, and they wake him up and, and he calms the wind and the waves and they look at him and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? In Mark chapter 8, Peter is asked a question by Jesus. And the question pretty much is, who do you say I am? Who, how would you answer this question? Who is this? And then the question finally gets answered in Mark chapter 15. After Jesus dies, a Roman centurion looks at him and looks at all that happens. And this question is finally answered when the Roman centurion says, surely this was the Son of God. And so this morning, let's start in Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Mark says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Mark starts... And the only thing that we, we hear Mark actually say, like hear his heart, is in the first verse where it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark says, the beginning. And as soon as he says the beginning, it brings us back to Genesis, where we, we hear like the, the, the writer in Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form. The earth was void. The dark, darkness was over the entire earth. There was nothing. The Spirit hovered over the dark. And God spoke, and there was creation. And so Mark begins, and he says, the beginning. And he begins by connecting this all the way back to Genesis. And this time he's saying there is a new beginning, a new creation. God has stepped into the darkness. The darkness that has been the result of rebellion for, for many years. For 400 years, there has been silence that they haven't heard from God. And even before that, there was a time of rebellion in the nation of Israel. It had been set up where God was going to be their king. And, and the people of Israel cried out, we want our own king. And then after they got their own king, they, they wandered away from the Lord. And the Lord uh, reminded them and, and came to them and said, hey, turn back to me, repent, come back. But they were disobedient over and over and over again. And God sent them into captivity. And for many years, they were in captivity, slaves. They were um, in bondage. And they always heard that there was this time that was coming. 
when one would come who was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And so Mark says, in the beginning, as he begins, like he's saying, this is the beginning. Something new is happening. And he talks about John being the fulfillment of that prophecy back all the way in Isaiah chapter 40, or Micah, or I'm sorry, Malachi verse, or chapter 3. That there was this time when one who was going to come, who's going to prepare the way. And so Mark says, here is the beginning. And when I hear the word beginning, I get excited because something new is happening. Like I, I shared, I like the, the new school year. Something new is happening. There's new possibilities. And so when we hear this word beginning, the beginning, there's excitement, there's hope, there's promise. There's a future filled with possibilities that, that life can be different. And today I celebrate and love that we have a God of beginnings, that God breaks into humanity with hope and healing and restoration and deliverance and freedom. And I love this picture of God all the way throughout scripture, that God doesn't sit idly by and just watch things happen, but God pursues, God chases, God moves towards us. All the way back in Genesis 3, when when we see that Adam and Eve were disobedient to God, when they sinned. And they were hiding from God. What does God do? He goes and looks for them. He moves towards them. I love that we have a picture of a God who moves towards us, who pursues relationship with us. And so this morning, as you sit here, you know, your life may be filled with, with hopelessness. You might be struggling in your, your life, and, and you might be uh, wrestling through some things. Know that with God, all things are possible. Know that we can have hope. Because we have a God who specializes in new beginnings, a God who specializes in grace, that every day his mercies are new, every morning. And we celebrate this word that the beginning, Mark is saying the beginning, this is the beginning of something new. And he says the beginning of the gospel, of the gospel. And this word that Mark used was a word that was very common. People would use this as as there was a, a military victory there was a military victory and, and there was good news of defeat uh, of the enemy. They would come and they would say, we have good news. And so Paul, or not Paul, Mark is using this word and saying, we have good news. When there was a, a new emperor that was born, a, new, a son of an emperor that was born, they would say, we have good news that, that life is going to get better. We love to hear good news. When I ask my kids, like, would you rather hear the, the bad news or the good news? It's always like, no, I want to hear good news. We love hearing good news. I think about years ago when uh, people heard that uh, Chick-fil-A was, was coming to town. People would be quickly sharing about Christian chicken coming to West Michigan. We didn't have too many people sharing about Popeyes when they, when they came. It, but we love hearing this good news. And so Mark says, the beginning of the good news Like, this is something to be shared. This is something to be lived. This is something to to seep deep down in our beings that that, that God is moving towards us, that God is acting, that we have good news, that there is victory over the enemy. And what is this good news? What is the gospel that we are to hear about? Look at what Jesus says. He says this in verse 14. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of of God. And what is that? And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news, the gospel, is that the reign 
The rule of God is here, and this is what it looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like, that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, to set the prisoners free, to break strongholds, to heal the sick, and ultimately reconcile us to God through, the death, through his death on the cross. And as we see in the Gospel of Mark, we see actually two pictures of the gospel which paints for us a complete picture of the gospel. And it's actually how Mark was laid out. You'll see in the verse, first eight chapters, the gospel of the kingdom. And these are stories, and you'll see on, this, on the outline that uh, you were given on the timeline. The first uh, eight chapters is all about the king is here and his name is Jesus, and this is what the kingdom looks like. We see right away Jesus is, is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there's this conflict between him and Satan, and he resists temptation. It's this conflict that goes all the way back to the garden. In the first eight chapters, you see that uh, there's, there's um, these, am- these amazing stories, stories of healing, stories of deliverance, and it's, it's fast-paced. Even in chapter one, you see this word immediately, they did this, immediately they did that. It is filled with action. And the first eight chapters is, is focused on the person of Jesus destroying the enemy and focused on his works. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel that comes, that sets the, the prisoners free, that heals the sick, that opens up the eyes of the blind. But then in Mark chapter 8, there is this turn, and it moves to the gospel of the cross and why Jesus came, the suffering servant, the suffering king. Yes, the king is here, but he looks different than we thought. And it focuses on why he came. And my hope and my prayer as we go through Mark, and frankly, as we live our lives, we need this complete picture of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the cross, the gospel of the kingdom that God wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth. And we pray and we work towards that end, and we long to see his, his kingdom come in powerful ways, and we long to see more of it. But also, we can't forget the gospel of the cross, that he came to reconcile us in relationship to God the Father through his death on the cross. And we see this completely in Mark chapter 2 as that paralytic was, was lowered to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, what? Why? How can you even say that? How do you even have the power to do that? And then Jesus says, just so you know that I have the power to do that, pick up your mat and walk. We need to live into and understand both aspects of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the cross that the kingdom wants to break through today and we pray and we work towards that, but also understanding that the only way that we can have a relationship with God the Father is through Jesus. It's the gospel, the beginning of the gospel. But the gospel is fully seen in who? In Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark says, as he begins his gospel, he says, here is the identity of Jesus. He is the Savior. He's the anointed royal figure, the one anointed by God to carry out a specific task, the specific task of bringing God's rule to earth, to bring freedom, to bring liberation to Israel, to bring about hope. And the Spirit, as he's baptized, you see that the Spirit falls and stays on him. And this again fulfills a prophecy all the way back to Isaiah chapter 11, where it says the the Messiah is going to be coming. And when he comes, the Spirit will fall And not just fall and leave, but will fall and remain. But then you see the end of chapter 1, it says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is an amazing claim that Jesus is God. That as we begin this, this journey through the gospel of Mark, we see all three aspects of the Trinity. We see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit at work, and we see actually this this kingdom 
that is built on adoption, built on sonship. We see that God looks at Jesus when he's baptized. And what does he say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is before Jesus does one miracle, before one teaching. God is moved with compassion and love towards his son. And so this morning, as we begin, the question that I have for us is actually found in the very center of the gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 8, I want us to end there. And my heart and my prayer is that as we go through the gospel of Mark, and as we get into Jesus' teachings and Jesus' doings and what he did, that, that really we would answer this question not so much just with our mouth, but with our lives. And as we get into some very practical things, that we would live out our confession of who we believe Jesus is and who we say he is. This is the very middle of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 8, verse 27, it says this, Jesus went on, his, went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples this question, who do, you say, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And so they're giving this report. This is what people say about you. And then he doesn't even respond. He just asks them another question. He says this, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I want us to look at that question. I want you to look at that question this week. And actually, this is a question that Jesus asks each one of us. It's a question that each of us have to, have to answer for ourselves. It's the most important question, I believe, in the, the history of questions. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Not who your parents say, not who your friends say, not who some other teacher says. Who do you say that he is? And the first century Christians answered this. But they answered this with their mouths, yes, but they answered it with their lives. And I would argue and I would ask you, consider this. Consider asking this, Jesus, consider answering the question this way, that Jesus is your king. That Jesus is the, the one who you are bowing down to every single day because each day we bow down, we give our hearts to someone or something. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so my encouragement and challenge to all of us is, why not start today? Peter responded and said, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the one who's come to deliver us. Is that our confession? And more so are we living our lives daily, laying down our crowns, worshiping Jesus, not just with our lips, but with our lives. So who do you say Jesus is? I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about that question. Who do you say Jesus is? If Jesus were to come to you and, and say, who do people say that I am? And you might give some, some response. But then if he looks at you and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Who are you giving your life we all give our lives to someone or something. And there is this invitation from Jesus who, who comes to us. And he says, I have come to give life 
to give it abundantly. I have come to set the captives free. Will you surrender and give all to me? Lord, as I think about that question, I'm actually blown away by the fact that you would offer a relationship with us, that you would come, you would bust into history, bust into time, moved by compassion, moved by a deep love for us, that you would do that to reconcile us to God, Father, that you would do what we can't do ourselves. And so I ask that today and every day, we would just say, Jesus, you're our everything. You're our king. We're laying everything down for you. We want to live wholeheartedly for your glory. Pray this all in your name, Jesus.